Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Bruce welcomes Rabbi Peter Levy, Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League of Orange County and Long Beach on the rise of anti-Semitism in America, resulting from the Israeli-Hamas war. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening, good e- good Sunday evening, everybody listening tonight. Angels Radio, live on the radio, and also, Angels, you can hear us on the new Angels Radio app, and of course, we stream on all your devices. So we're keeping up with the times, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight is the fourth night of the celebration of Hanukkah. On this occasion, I've chosen to do a very serious show, but it's not going to scare you off. Don't change the station looking for something that is, uh, shall we say, a little bit more fun. Because this is really an important night to talk about these issues that I'm going to bring up with a very special guest in just a few minutes. We're dealing at a time of great, great strife in America There is, as you probably have heard, maybe ad nauseum for some of you who just want to turn it off, the statistics about hate crimes are through the roof. The FBI is is reporting that uh, we are all in a certain level of danger right now, in part due to the Israeli-Hamas war, in part due to the lingering economic woes post-pandemic, partly due to the incredible strife in our political arena, the divide between just about every aspect of our life, not seen, frankly, in decades. Interesting to me is the rise in anti-Semitism, which is going to be our focus tonight on the radio. American Jews were probably in a state of complacency given all of the incredible dialogue and interfaith relations and, well, frankly, even interfaith marriages and business dealings and everything that has transpired in the last 50 years post-World War II, the horrors of that war and the enormity and tragedy of the Holocaust. American Jews were complacent. Things were good. People were not hateful, at least not outwardly like they are today. So we asked the question tonight on the radio, what has changed? Why is the FBI reporting that anti-Semitic hate crimes and hate speech is up in triple digits from what it was just a few years ago? Ladies and gentlemen, our nation, our so-called melting pot nation of all immigrants, of approaching 400 million people, 
How many Jews are in America? How about like maybe one and three quarters percent of that 400 million in population are Jewish or identify as Jews? One point three quarter percent of 400 million people have the most aggressive hate speech and hate crimes. Why? Where is it coming from? Where has it come from actually for thousands of years? Why does it never change? It just resurfaces and remorphs and moves from one generation to the next in some form. And why, in this era of wokedom, of DEI, diversity, inclusion, equality, diversity, equality, inclusion, why is anti-Semitism worse than it's been since the middle of the 20th century? Why? That's what I ask tonight. That's why I ask of you listeners tonight. I'm going to introduce our guest in just a second. He is an expert on this. He is also a rabbi. He also is the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League of Orange County and Long Beach. He knows what he's talking about. He has been seen and heard on local media countless times in the last few weeks. Not just local media, frankly. I've seen him on national media as well. But we're going to get there in a second. But before I do, i got to ramble just a bit more to try and encourage you to join this conversation tonight. I will open phone lines. And I'm going to ask some really tough questions. I'm going to ask them of our guest, and he will, I'm sure, shed some light on it. And I'm asking you, the listeners, also some really tough questions. I want to know if you were indoctrinated to hate by a parent, by a teacher, by a friend, by a school that you attended, by a circumstance, by a person that you knew who did you wrong. I want to know if you consider yourself and are willing to admit that you have anti-Semitic bias. Plus the fact, I want our guest to describe what that means. What is anti-Semitic? I don't even like that term. I don't know where it came from. Jews may have originated as Semitic peoples, but they're all over the world in every culture, every society. But we're going to get back to that in a minute. So the, the question to start out with, to think about, I'll take it from the expression that children are not born hateful. They have to be taught to hate. You've heard that. You've heard it in, in songs, for goodness sakes. You've heard it. You've heard preachers tell you that. So if we know that to be true, the question is why. Why do you hate? What is it that causes it? And I also want to discuss tonight what's the difference between an unconscious, excuse me, an unconscious hate or an unconscious bias, as it is described today by sociologists, and a conscious bias, a bias that is based on an experience. We're going to we're going to get into that. But it's time now to let you uh, to meet our special guest tonight. His name is Peter Levy. Rabbi Peter Levy, again, Regional Director, Anti-Defamation League, Orange County, Los and uh, Long Beach. He's also a member of the Orange County Sheriff's Interfaith Council. 
and the Orange County Hate Crime Prevention Network. Peter, thank you for coming on tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you, Bruce? Have you lit the Hanukkah candles tonight? I am looking at my candles right now, shining beautifully in the window. Hanukkah is a celebration of many things, but it's also a celebration of hope. We're in a very hopeless time. Comment. So, you're right. Uh, Hanukkah is a celebration of, of hope, but more than hope. Right? Hanukkah celebrates a historical event uh, about, uh, you know, 150 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, so, you know, over 2,100 years ago, when the Jewish people's nation uh, was uh, controlled by outside influences, and the Jewish people fought back in order to uh, have autonomy and sovereignty and peace and security in their historic homeland. And commemorating that victory over Hellenistic forces, right, the Jewish people rededicated their temple and, and lit the Hanukkah or the Hanukkah menorah, right? Lit, lit these candles. Uh, and, you know, strangely enough, right, we feel like there's that battle exists today for the Jewish people to live in safety and security uh, in their own historic homeland, in the, in the Jewish homeland for the Jewish people. Um, and it's light and darkness, right? It's tomorrow. It'll be the new moon, and we're going into the or into the darkest, the darkest day of the year. And not just the Jewish people. So many traditions, you know, have celebrations of light and opportunity and hope and future. And uh, we too, the Jewish people, amongst all, cling onto this hope. But it's work. And it's work that we have to do together to ensure this safety and security for everyone. What do you say when you hear that the FBI is claiming that we need to be careful because Jewish hate crimes are through the roof? What do you say as the regional director of an organization that is supposed to prevent such horrific behavior? So, um, you know, part of me wants to be, you know, I, I hope that I would be surprised and shocked and revulsed, but... I, I know the statistics. I know that we've seen an increase in hate against every group, not just anti-Jewish hate, but we've seen hate against um, all sorts of minority groups, black folks, Asian folks, Muslim folks, um, the gay, lesbian, queer, and trans community. We have seen all sorts of xenophobic hate, and this has been on a steady increase over this past decade. So. I'm not surprised. I'm horrified. Uh, when you work for an anti-hate organization, the goal is to put yourself out of business, not to ensure a future for ourselves. But we have I don't to think you need to worry, era. Peter. I, I think you're going to be in business for a while. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. So it just makes our work all the more important and relevant, given the conditions of what, you know, the trends that we're seeing in the world, uh, the battle against against hate and extremism uh, is becoming uh, more and more important. Pundits and, and experts in the field of sociology and economy claim that when this kind of behavior exacerbates, it ties directly to the economy. What do you think, since people seem to be, you know, despite 
despite all of the things that are happening economically in this country, and I won't even go to the world because the world has much bigger problems than we do, what is the economic factor right now that could be attributing to anti-Semitism and anti every every kind of hate that you just described? Sure. So here's what we see, right? So um, economic anxiety is just one of the anxieties that society uh, can feel. And what we see is that uh, extremists and uh, ideologues and perpetrators of hate and, and, and anti-Semitism never miss the opportunity to take advantage of any type of anxiety or uncertainty in society. So if it's economic, they'll take advantage of that to demonize a group to blame for the economic hardship that we're in, uh, to deflect. Uh, it could be a pandemic, it could be health issues, it could be social policy, it could be there's anxiety about what's happening on college campuses. It could be so there could be anxiety about energy, anxieties about what's happening on the southern border of our country. So what we see is anything where there is concern issues and anxiety in society about will be exploited by individuals who have a socio-political agenda to further their agenda. So we see that time and time again used against marginalized groups. So yes, when we see if there's economic anxiety and uncertainty and still about where things are going out of the pandemic with these high levels of inflation that we haven't seen for a generation, right, that anxiety, so many people will look to a scapegoat, right? And so it's not surprising that, right, anti-Semitism could be one of those expressions that is being pushed due to the concerns about what the economic situation right now. But why Jewish anti-Semitism? Why is it so high? You know, there have been myths through the centuries attributed to Jewish hate. The Jews control the media. The Jews control the banks. The Jews control money. The Jews control X, Y, and Z, all of which have been debunked. In this age of electronic medium and information and sources and access to, to, to true information, yet it doesn't seem to matter. Peter, why does it not matter that, listen, the biggest myth of all the biggest misconception that has been around for since the creation of of Constantinople, put making Christianity the the state religion of the Roman Empire. Since then, the biggest myth of all is that the Jews killed Jesus, so we have to hate the Jews. That has been debunked. It has been denounced by the Catholic Church, it's been denounced by the Presbyterians, it's been denounced by everyone, but it still exists. It still comes down to that. How do you, how do you countermand that kind of hate that is ingrained? Well, let's look at it this way. The overwhelming majority of Americans, right, U.S. citizens, right, aren't anti-Semitic. Right? The overwhelming majority understand history and context and support the Jewish people and, and, and love having them as their neighbors, as, as they love the whole diversity of this country, which they see as a strength and part of the beauty of our country. You, are you sure about this? You sound very, well, very majority, aspirational. I'm not sure that 
I'm not sure it's as well, rosy as you say. But all right, but let's say uh, you know, if 20 percent of the country, right? That's 20 percent of the country. We're looking at you know uh, 70 million people, right? So the vast majority, yes, but a, even a small percent is millions and millions of people. Uh, so we have a challenge. So you're right to like also go back in history, Bruce. What if you look at what so when the Roman became the Holy Roman Empire and converted to Christianity? Uh, they, the Romans had a problem, right? Because mainly, right, the Roman Caesar, right, the Roman emperor executed Jesus. So that's a problem when you're trying to support Christianity. So who is the most non-conspicuous, not, you know, who is the most conspicuous non-Christian group in their midst? That was the Jews. So it became, so the Jews are responsible for killing Jesus. Why? Oh, for 30 pieces of silver. So the Jews are greedy about that. And but and how did they manipulate the Roman governor to do it? Oh, so the Jews are uniquely corrupt and able to exercise their power over others. And who else could kill the you know the son of God? So the Jews are uniquely evil in their own way. So and they're so they're not trustworthy. They're greedy. They're corrupt and they're uniquely evil. So that being perpetuated Right, going back, you know, over a millennia, right, set the foundation in the Western world for anti-Semitism. Um, and well, so you've just explained. You've just explained it again. But why does it still exist? Why? The lie so, is preferred. Humans prefer lies. We prefer well, to believe the lie. So, so there's two parts to that. You know, one. Jews still might be the you know the most conspicuous non-Christian group in our society, so they are still scapegoated and blamed for the issues and the anxieties and concerns in society. And uh, people are sometimes you know uh, not not good, well-educated, or you know good folks who understand history and context, but some people, they believe this false binary. They're led by people with, you know, other agendas, uh, hateful agendas, to believe in a binary that you're either good or evil, and if we're good, therefore that group must be evil. So that susceptibility is there, and it's exploited by all too many people. I also and think. As you met, let me let me interrupt you. Uh, I also think that a lot of it comes from, as you said, uneducated people who don't understand history, which I will take a step further and call it ignorance. There's a lot of stupid people out there. There's a lot of ignorant people who are susceptible to false information and lies, and they want to believe it. It makes it more comfortable. But there's also the aspect of the personal experience, and I bring that up because it is a reality in the human condition. If you have a horrible personal experience with someone of a different religion, a lot of people end up hating the entire religion rather than disliking the person who created that experience. And Peter, on that note, we have to take our first break. And I end there because I want to ask a question of our audience if they're so inclined tonight to join us. And that is, ladies and gentlemen, listening tonight on this fourth night of Hanukkah, approximately 15 days before Christmas, 
Join us. Join Rabbi Peter Levy and myself, Bruce Cook, on the air tonight. If you're brave enough to tell me, have you battled, have you fought against, have you fought against the trend, have you fought against the personal hate that was created in you because you experienced something so vile that you translated it from your own personal experience to hate an entire group? I know that's a complicated question, but I think you get what I mean. Our phone number is 714-2-830-830. Once again, 714-2-830-830. We're going to take a break, a couple minutes. Rabbi Peter, stay with me. Everybody stay with me. We'll be right back. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true, we make a better day. Just you and me. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. That's what we're talking about tonight, the power of love, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bruce Cook, The Conversation, Angels Radio, AMA 30, also on the new Angels Radio app. My special guest is Rabbi Peter Levy tonight. We're talking about the rise in anti-Semitism in America. We're going to move over from our generic talk in our first quarter of our, our conversation tonight, and I'm going to get specific with what's going on on our college campuses You've all been listening to the news, and you heard about the three presidents of the top three or several, yeah, top three uh, Ivy League schools on the East Coast, Harvard, MIT, and Penn, go before Congress last week and make absolute fools and idiots out of themselves. All of them have been called to resign. We're going to get into that. Peter, are you there with me? Did you watch the congressional hearings with those three people? I watched the excerpts. That was all I could handle. How can you how can you believe that three actually three women running the top, top three of the top universities in this in the in the world, not just the nation, in the world could equivocate and say that in a certain context, it is okay to express anti-Semitic thoughts, words, behavior. How is that okay? It is never okay to be anti-Semitic in any context. It is never okay to be racist in any context. It is never okay to be Islamophobic or misogynistic, right? None of this is ever permitted. 
I think where they got caught up was that the cost of free speech in America is hate speech. Hate speech is constitutionally protected. And somehow it seems like they got caught up in that while hate speech is constitutionally protected, what's not protected is slander. What's not protected is threats. What's not protected is harassment. Um, and so it seems... Uh, a, a, but it's a slippery so slope. It's a slippery slope. How do you go, how do you call anti-Semitic hate speech if it is not, if it is not directed in a slanderous or direct way at a certain person or, or a certain experience or thing to happen just because you hate, you want to express your freedom of, of First Amendment rights? How is that not, how is that not incendiary? You, well, you've hit upon the, the challenge here, right? We have, unfortunately, we see this in not just university campuses, but so many contexts where people express hate, maybe anti-Semitic hate towards the Jewish people or other hates towards other people. So uh, what we need is leaders, and in this case, campus leaders, to speak up and unequivocally contain, condemn such, you know, heinous uh, expressions of support of terrorism, uh, of hate, um, and, and, and they have to show their support for students. And that when we see this type of uh, harassment and anti-Semitic language, even if it is constitutionally protected on their campuses, understanding that the impact of that on other students makes them uh, feel so like what, they have to what happened? Their what happened, Peter? What happened in the last decade that made it okay to express hate speech under the under the guise of First Amendment rights. What changed? Because 10 years ago, we still protected free speech, but we understood there were things that are not said. Things that you may think, you may discuss in, in an appropriate circumstance or, or way, but is what has changed? Why is it okay? And does it have to do with this whole movement? And I'm sorry to say that I am very conservative on this point. The whole movement of diversity, uh, equality, and inclusion has gone so far. Everybody's not the same. It's not okay. It's not okay to assume that everybody's the same, that everyone deserves to be equitable and included. It just isn't. Is that a factor? So, you know, I think you point out something good, that something has clearly changed, right? That while we understand hate speech might be constitutionally protected, that there used to be an expectation in how people behaved in public realms that you would not harass and intimidate and threat or veiled threats or knowing where the line is of what you can get away with constitutionally and what you can't, right? Was and, that a bad that. thing? So Was it changed? a bad thing to have that kind of civility? Was that no, bad? Exactly. Is the truth, is the truth, I guess, I guess those that ascribe to this new age philosophy of lay it all out there believe that expressing the true feelings is more important than having some dignity and respect for one another. So, look, I'm not a social psychologist, so I can't tell you everything that happened in society that has, that has changed that. But we can point to a couple things that have changed. 
right? We have seen an incredible coarseness in public discourse, right? In political discourse, on cable news channels, on the internet. So we've seen a type of coarseness. And when we see it over and over again, it normalizes. And it gives permission to others that this is what's normal. And when we normalize something that that is based on bias, then we we've set a foundation for an escalation to other expressions of hate. We've also created um, algorithmic amplification. If we use that term uh, in the 90s or even in, 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 uh, in uh, you know, at the turn of the century, right, no one would have known what algorithmic amplification is. But since the invention of the like button, since the invention uh, of, of going viral on the Internet, different people, extremists particularly, have learned how to exploit the, the tools in order to expand their speech. If you just stood up on a soapbox and yelled, it would go as far as people hear. But now you have stretched into the millions across the world. But where are people um, of good faith to say, no, it needs to stop? Where are they? Are they afraid? Well, I, think, I think people are afraid. I think the real I, danger in this is that the so-called good people who do not want to see the expansion of hate speech of any kind, who do not want to see anti-Semitism turn into what it has turned into over generations and millennia when things get really bad and things get really bad economically and then people start killing one another. Where are they? They're not well, speaking out. Bruce, you point out this is the failure of university presidents and not just those three that we saw in the congressional hearing it's not this just presidents the it's the it's the professors leaders. it's the it's the whole like, society has become so so disrespectful and and well that's that's just not even a good enough word disrespectful man. they've become crazy so here's what it is right so you're right it's not just the president it's professors it's leaders and people with authority in so many stretches of life and and it's a fear right um, no one feared calling out a nazi no one feared calling out a racist hardcore but why is there fear of calling out the people who are practicing this type of anti-semitism to call it what it is where is that coming from and I think part of the challenge here is that there is this pervasive false binary that is falling, that there is the world can be understood is in simple terms between oppressed and oppressors. And therefore, if the Palestinian people are oppressed, therefore the Israelis, which is a part of Jewish identity, are the oppressor. Are the oppressor. So if you believe a false binary and then you're afraid to offend people who are following and Pushing that false binary, which is a grotesque oversimplification of the way the world works. Because, you know what, the overwhelming majority of people want to say that Jewish people deserve to have safety and security on our campuses and in their historic homeland. And the Palestinian and Muslim people deserve to have safety and security in their historic homeland as well as on our campuses. You can actually, and most people believe both, but falling into this false binary which paints the world as either good or evil, but no, no sense of nuance, no sense of complexity, no sense of context, no sense of understanding. Uh, that is a danger. And why are people afraid to call that out? 
why afraid to call out those folks, that is a moral failure. I want to bring up Elon Musk at this point. Elon Musk, wealthiest man or one of the wealthiest men in the world, one of the most brilliant in certain ways, has obviously changed society today as Thomas Edison may have done in his day and Copernicus before that, etc., etc., makes a comment on X that is interpreted as anti-Semitic. Is Elon Musk not of Jewish ancestry? Why has anybody not brought that up? Well, I don't know. Uh, his, you know, ancestry is, uh, it, I don't know his ancestry, but the real question is, right, uh, how, you know, how does he and how does anyone identify? What is the parts of their own identity? He I, does uh, not identify he, with any religion I, am, I have read and understand. But having even said that, it just, here's another one. And this is a real doozy, and I don't know how you're going to react to this. Donald Trump, his grandchildren are Jewish. His grandchildren are Jewish. His daughter is a convert. His son-in-law is a Jew. <laughs> and Jewish people call him anti-Semitic for things that he says. Can you explain that to me? We, you know, as we've all learned that even people who are part of marginalized groups or connected to them could sometimes subscribe to and support and say things uh, that have an impact as anti-Semitic, right? So we see this. Um, there are, are, are folks in the Jewish, you know, where right, Jews could sometimes support uh, ideas that hit the most of the Jewish community is anti-Semitic, right? There are Jews who say that Israel should have nothing to do with Jewish identity. Yet 82% of the Jews, according to the latest Pew research, 82% of the Jews in the U.S. say that Israel is either an essential or an important part of their Jewish identity. So, um, It is a crucial part of Jewish identity. Let's just be honest here. It is without Israel, there are many Jewish scholars that say the religion would dissolve. It would dissolve. Well, it would dissolve into into blandness. Without Orthodox Jewry and without Israel, it would be the death knell of a culture that has been a leader in the world for almost eight thousand years. Well, look, when Jewish people, when the Romans colonized the land uh, of Israel, where the Jewish people lived 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people figured out how to live in, as refugees in other people's countries. Now, they were beat up, persecuted, murdered, victims of pogroms and harassment, kicked out of the, the, the places they had lived over 800 times during that 2,000 years. So the Jewish people know how to survive when we don't have our homeland, right? We've learned to do that. But in a, in a world of nation-states, the Jewish people, like every other people on earth, deserve to have their own nation-state. So Jewish identity is more complex. I, I'm going to suggest centering Jewish peoplehood and not the Jewish religion, that the Jewish people have a religious expression. We also have a land, a language, a history, a culture, an ethnicity, a value system, an ethics, right? There, um, a literature, an arts. 
right? We're a whole culture and civilization that's rich and deep in many ways, and religion is one of those aspects of it. That it's an aspect that plays a prominent role in the U.S., um, but those many aspects of Jewish identity really mix in all the Jewish people for how we how we're connected as a people to each other. Uh, and Israel is one of the most important factors in that, the modern state of Israel. On that, Rabbi Peter, we take our next break. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. It's a conversation tonight. We're in serious waters here talking about the causes of anti-Semitism, how we can understand it better as it, as it grows in our own nation, our own neighborhoods, and stop it, and stop all kinds of hate also. We'll be right back. Two minutes, everybody. That there's just too little of what the world needs now Is love, sweet love, no, not just for some, but everyone Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. back everybody i'm bruce cook the conversation is wandering free at least we're trying to rabbi peter levy on with me tonight on air on angels radio live on air and also on the new range uh, angels radio app welcome back to the conversation we transition now i want to bring up another part of this that is really a conundrum for me peter black anti-semitism where do you where does it come from? So, you know, we see, you know, there's a tendency to think that right, all marginalized groups would would resist blaming another marginalized group. So it's not a surprise that we would see individuals across the board, you know, that still fall into these oversimplified binaries about who's good and who is evil and finding another group to blame. So we find that in all marginalized groups, in all minority groups, that experience. Um, and we've seen, you know, some of those, not just individuals, some of those people have, have influence over their organizations and institutions and put out statements and are glorified Hamas terrorists. 
two months ago in posts. Um, and that is just painful when we see this happen in any group, whether or not. Uh... It's not just painful, Peter. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable, especially if it comes from a so-called person of the cloth. Or how about a mega-famous entertainer? It is unbelievable, especially since the common denominator between the Jewish people and the black people has been rising from a place of slavery, rising from a place of persecution. Who but black Americans in the 1950s and 60s were the ones to first stand up for racial equality? Who but black students in the 1960s were marching, white black, white, I'm sorry, white Jewish students in the 1960s were marching with Martin Luther King. Where is this coming from today? I have a theory on it. I want your. I don't want. I don't want you to give me a pat answer about marginalized groups. I want to know where it's coming from, and I'll tell you where I think it's coming from. But you first. Yeah. No. Look. I'll be honest. I don't know where it's coming from. For example, a year ago when Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, went on his multiple anti-Semitic rants. I don't know where that came from, but we do know the impact of it, and the impact of it was horrific uh, in terms of, of, of the spread and the influence that he had as an entertainer. We see athletes and entertainers have, have undue influence. So when they subscribe to hateful ideologies and conspiracy theories that, that are anti-Semitic, um, and blame the Jewish people for the ills in society, it has horrific impacts. Okay, now I'm going to tell you where I think it's coming from. Actually, I know it's where it's coming from, in part. Not in total, but in part. It's how I started the show tonight by saying, if you are anti-Semitic, did you have an experience at a certain point in your life that made you such? You learned to be anti-Semitic. It wasn't born in you. And the reason that so many black people, and especially people like Kanye West, I believe have virulent anti-Semitism in them is because of their experience as a youth. In America, for that generation of people, of black people, coming up before the civil rights movement and during the civil rights movement, in inner cities... In America, in the black population of inner cities, the merchants, the businessmen that had the stores that catered to the black population because the white-gloved merchants that owned the Tony stores on the better part of town would not deal with black people. They shopped in their neighborhoods, and many of the stores were run by Jews. But the Jewish merchants were also not part of the Christian majority in the fancy part of town either. This is where they made their living. And they offered credit to black people because they couldn't get it anywhere else. And it was a double-edged sword. The credit allowed them to make purchases that they couldn't afford in order to live a reasonably decent life, but it also cost them money. And they became prisoners to the credit in these little stores. And it fostered resentment, and that resentment trans transcended generations to their children and their children and their grandchildren, and that's where Kanye West comes from, and that's where the Reverend, what's-his-name, uh, 
I can't think of it now. I'm on a tirade. They come from that experience. And again, you're talking about the binary aspect of, of separating reality from myth. It's hard to do because the personal experience was difficult. But if you stop and an intelligent person of any race would look at this and say, on the one hand, these people would not have been able to buy clothes or or shoes or groceries because they would have had no stores at all. But yes, some of the some of the Jewish merchants profited from it. Again, that that horrible money angle that has created so much hate. What do you say? Well, I I don't know about that part of social history in any depth to comment on it, but I do believe you're pointing out what we call a basic cognitive mistake. When people take one experience and then universalize that by against everyone who might fit that perceived group, whether or not the owner was white or Jewish or something, and then universalizing it, just like if someone has an experience with one black person, and therefore to universalize it and say every black person would operate this way. But how do we stop that? How do we stop it? How do we stop the stereotypes? Yeah, well, look, you, you also you opened up by saying that no one is born a bigot, right? And no one is born a bigot. So what we have to learn is how to interrupt it so that when uh, those patterns get set and when those teachings happen, that we're able to recognize it for what it is and interrupt so we don't end up with that type of bias where we generalize about a whole group based on our own experience or a story that we've been told. Well, that's Um, what we have failed to do as Americans, as human beings, forever and ever and ever, to not generalize, but to be specific and say, Mr. X is a terrible guy happens to be Jewish and we don't like him, that doesn't mean that we hate Jews. Mr. Y is a really bad black guy, doesn't mean we hate all blacks. We haven't been able to do that. And it's because we teach hate. And we also see it coupled and reinforced in society. For example, there might be an experience, but then it becomes, oh, and you should know, right, Jews based on 11 pieces of silver, uh, 2,000 years ago, are greedy. So we're able to then take some anxiety in society, whether or not, you know, uh, if it's economic, and then scapegoat and blame a group for the challenges that we have in that. So we see, right, that agenda being pushed. Uh, and so try, greed, recognize it for what it is. Greed, let's Peter, greed is... It and let's share. Greed is not... Our stories. Greed is not specific to the Jews. Trust me. Greed is greed is in every person. Listen, we got to take another break. I hate to even stop, but we have we have one more break to take. We will be right back. Stay with me. I'm Bruce Cook, live on Angels Radio with Rabbi Peter. We'll be right back. Yes. 
As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash spine health. We're asking you every time we're on the radio to think about changing your ways, assuming your ways need to be changed, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bruce Cook. The conversation tonight is just about over. My very special guest tonight, Rabbi Peter Levy, has been sharing some really good information. Peter, we only have a couple minutes left. I'd like you to wrap us up, look into your crystal ball, what does the future hold? What does 2024 hold in your eyes, given what's happening, given what's happening between Israel and Hamas and how the world is reacting every time the media shows pictures of tragic Palestinian children amidst the violence? Tell me what's going to happen in our election year with so much division. And then give us some hope, if you can, and also end by telling the listening audience, how they might contact you if so desired. So I think you're right. With so much uncertainty in the world, whether or not it's a war in the Middle East between the state of Israel and the terrorist organization Hamas, which has too many innocent civilians caught in it, whether or not it's a very divisive uh, election uh, period that we're about to that we're in, and it's only going to get stronger in this country, increased economic uncertainty, uh, that we are in for what looks to be a really challenging period of time. Uh, you know, as you started with the FBI hate crime statistics going through the roof, right? So um, I'm not feeling terribly optimistic, but I'm feeling really motivated. I'm feeling motivated because people like you are wanting to address this on the radio and in the mainstream. I'm feeling motivated because there are members in our community and our edu education institutions that see the rot and the moral, um, uh, the, the lack of, of moral authority in these spaces that realize we have to do something, otherwise we're going to lose the integrity of our democracy and, and, and the celebration of the people in it. So while I'm not feeling optimistic that that the fight against hate and extremism is, is going to make headways in the near future. I'm feeling more motivated than others. Motivate like is, a great, is a great way to end us. We, we are out of time, Rabbi Peter. Thank you so much for your time tonight. All the best to you. Keep up the fight. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Bruce Cook's conversation here on Angels Radio. Healthy, happy week. We'll be back again next Sunday night, as always. Good night. You've been listening to The Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear The Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on 
Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.